shot at and missed. The president dodges a bullet from the Mueller report. What will the Democrats do next? That and more on The Fury Theory. The Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. I'm joined by my two colleagues, John Easton and Adam Belmar. Let's go to John Easton first. The Democrats put all of their eggs in the impeachment basket. Do you think they're going to continue to investigate, or do you think they're going to turn to something that the American people actually care about? I think that they are like a... The impeachment, the investigations, it's kind of like a, a moth to flame for them. They just can't help getting closer and closer to that fire. Uh, I, I think if you look at the fact that just on Saturday, six uh, House Committee chairman Democrats said that they were going to continue to investigate in their, in their committees. And then you have, of course, some of these star freshmen saying that, well, you know, Tlaib for one, saying that... Um, very much that she wants to move forward with impeachment. Uh, you, of course, heard Adam Schiff, who's been probably the most out front on this. He's chairman of the Intel Committee, saying um, undoubtedly there was collusion. He said that yesterday, I believe. So, yes, they, they are absolutely uh, not satisfied with this. They still feel like this is a political asset. But I think then you look at, at their leaders, Nancy Pelosi, and I would say even uh, Congressman Hoyer, who may not be taking quite the same tact at all. I think they see, see that's a very perilous uh, path to be taken. And, and I did like the quote of, of Speaker Pelosi, who said that impeachment is off the table and, until it's on the table. So, um, you know, Adam Belmar, my theory on this is that the more the Democrats talk about Trump, the less they're going to be able to talk about health care and other stuff that they want, they want to get to. Uh, but to John's point, they, they can't help themselves. No, they can't. And it was Napoleon Bonaparte who said, don't interrupt your enemy while they're in the process of making a mistake. And uh, this is good advice for the president, as it usually is when you're watching Democrats try and do what Democrats do. Um, You know, and I think there's a real opening here for the president to add some rhyme to his riff. There was no collusion. It was just an illusion. That's what I'm pressing for. But, uh, you know, the president of the United States has been vindicated in the court of public opinion. He was definitely not tried in any legal court. And to the extent the laws of the land uh, need still be sort of have their their depths plumbed for any malfeasance. This this is something that is completely going over the heads of most people. There was no collusion. The Russians hacked our election. The president wasn't a part of it. If you think he's doing some weird and funky stuff, well, that's just the way he is. And we need to get on with the day and get on with what we need to do. And you're right. The Democrats, in the end, if they're going to be running for president on an agenda, nullifying the 2016 election is not a winning agenda for 2020. Uh, nullification is a big part of what the Democrats are all about, though. And that's they, they don't think that, Johnny said, this president is legitimate. The, the legitimacy, legitimacy argument is a huge argument for and has been for some members of the, the, the Never Trump organization. Um, I'm not sure if that's a formal organization. But it's not formal. There are let, no T-shirts let, or let, hats. I think there are T-shirts and hats, but I don't think it's got <laughs> I don't have them. I don't, I don't think it's got bylaws. Um, now if the Democrats could get away from the flame, what would they focus let, – we're going to talk about health care later, but what else would they talk about that the voters care about, John Eason? I, I think they could talk about inequality. They could talk about health care. They can talk about their issues that they're, they're, they're strong on, and I think that connects the best for them with the electorate. But I think that the Democrats can go to their core issues, their strong issues, which is health care, uh, inequality, social 
injustice. But um, if you take a look at 2020 and the road ahead, if the Democrats are smart and they say, you know, without the Mueller report uh, basically indicting the president, uh, that the 2016 election is 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 really in the rearview mirror, and we've got to move forward and treat the guy like he's actually president of the United States. It actually would benefit them moving forward into 2020. Trump 2020 also, I think, it's a real lift. Clearly, that they um, that he's not there's a, there isn't this collusion with Russia hanging over his head, so he is liberated. But I do think that um, the content that was created through this two years of of Mueller chaos. Think about it. All those statements from the media, all those statements from Democrats, not not but leading Democrats, not just the, the the 2020 presidential candidates, but but also some of the Democrats we talked about before. You know that is just a goldmine for the Trump campaign to remind its core supporters uh, that this guy is kind of a martyr. That, right. I think that's right. Right. Um, Adam, let's talk a little bit about the media. And I mean, if anyone lost more than the Democrats, it was the media. And to be honest, I haven't been doing a whole lot of TV lately because yeah. all they talked about was Russia, and I found that Russia to be really, really boring. Really, really, I didn't, th- I didn't think there was anything, anything there. And I, I've been pretty consistent on that. Uh, but the, the, you know, if you go on any MSNBC, all they talk about is Russia, and and now, now they have all kinds of egg in their face, don't you think? Yes. Um... They do, and in some ways, you've sort of heard this meme start to emerge that this Russia investigation that Mueller and the report is the WMD of this sort of journalism era. Well, having lived through the run-up to the war in Iraq, um, I think like everybody else, when the New York Times in 2004 issued an apology, what was that apology really about? Did we get it wrong or we're sorry that we got duped? Right. This time it's really more like, sorry we duped you. Right. Like they were actively perpetrating the fake news that the president was pointing out. And they were making money off it. Oh, they made ungodly sums of money, which is completely consistent with the president's uh, business brand. You know, it's all about the hype and the name, and as long, you know, it doesn't matter what you say about me as long as you spell the name right. And in the end, I think the president. gets that the joke is on them, but the more they fight with him and the more he's able to coordinate the news agenda every day, the more powerful he actually is. So this is a winning for winning, and those guys lost, and they will never truly admit it. In fact, I think, unlike the Democratic Party, the adjunct that is the mainstream liberal media will never admit how badly they screwed this up. And, and, you know, John Eason, it wasn't that bad for Fox either because they were talking about – I mean, I think Fox is talking a lot about immigration, but they're also talking about the establishment trying to stick it to um, to the president and the, that this, this big hoax. Of course, Fox turned out to be right and MSNBC turned out to be wrong, right? Well, it wasn't just Fox. It was a, a lot of pretty good journalists out there who – uh, decided not to get swayed by emotion and try to lead with facts. But I, I do think that when we talk about the media and, and their effect on, on this and effect on the electorate, you look at, at Trump, Trump's going to have no problem with his base. We talk about that all the time. You know, the, the media talks about all that all the time. They're so strong for him. But what he, of course, needs is those Republicans that have been turned off by his behavior over the last couple of years 
And then those independents who may have voted for him, but are like, oh, this guy is, I don't know, he's, he's not my, he's really not my cup of tea. But something like this, the Mueller report, the media's reaction to it, um, how they just fed the beast day, day by day by day by day, almost in a conspiratorial way, um, I think may have an effect of, of having those voters take a second look at Donald Trump uh, in terms of, okay, well, he's essentially vindicated from the Russia collusion. The media completely embarrassed themselves. So, I don't know, maybe this guy isn't so bad after all. I think that could actually be an effect in 2020. I think that's probably right. Uh, Adam, you know, I, th I think about what's happening right now in the central part of the country. You have these huge, huge floods, economic catastrophe, bad issues all around. And instead of talking about that, the media is really kind of talking about Justin Smollett and Donald Trump. Do you know how much energy it's taken for me not to try and I've been thinking of jokes to uh, <laughs> conflate the exoneration of Smollett and Trump but I didn't want to bring it here. Um, but you're right, though. And I think the thing that's also so interesting is that while so many of our fellow Americans are struggling deeply with what's gone on in the natural disaster elements of the flooding and so forth, um, there's also been unbelievable real news being made in Washington, D.C. this week with the prime minister of Israel being here and the signing uh, that, that acknowledges the Golan Heights as as a sovereign part of Israel. Now, I realize that Mid-Atlantic and Northeast elites like to think about foreign affairs while others are blithely ignoring other important news, so I'm probably as guilty as, as everyone else. But the Democrats need to recognize that this is a country of people and you need to talk to them and not, not just keep this Trump beat about the president. It's, it's not working anymore. I don't think it's working. Talking about the president, John Easton, he pivoted immediately to health care, especially after the, his Justice Department said that they're going to challenge the constitutionality of, of Obamacare again. Um, but do the Senate Republicans have a plan? I mean, I think that the Democrats have a plan, which is to bolster Obama, Obamacare, especially fighting on pre-existing conditions. I think this is a real vulnerability. I think a lot of senators are a little bit surprised by this. Yeah, I... I it has long been a, a serious minefield for Republicans and especially Republican presidential candidates. And part of the problem that I see is, you know, Donald Trump succeeds so often going off half cocked and somehow getting to the other side, either unscathed or, you know, in a, in a net positive area but on this it's like healthcare is so complex it's so difficult no, who knew nobody knew that healthcare was that complicated <laughs> but you know i'm telling you you know you you know with with repeal and replace i think the real effort and all the energy was on repeal yes and i think that voters kind of understand well what's the replace part of it because in the end it does it really especially you know years after obamacare has and he's long gone his name may be on or whatever, but in the end, do people really care the name attached to it or the, you know, when it was passed, who passed it, who signed it? No, they care about their coverage. They care about pre-existing pre conditions. They care about how expensive it is to, you know, get that, that routine physical. All this stuff really, really matters. And, and to not think through this is, I think, rife with, with problems for, for him, for the party, and potentially his re-election campaign. I think that's right. And, and I think that the House Republicans lost the House because 
the Democrats focused on many of these races on pre-existing conditions, and House Republicans didn't have much of a counterattack uh, to that. Um, they didn't really say much at all, and that was a huge problem for them. Uh, Adam, thinking about uh, the president and his reaction, uh, first he talks about health care, but he also seems to want to counterattack, seems to want to continually you know, persecute and prosecute people who were part of this, this uh, failed coup. Uh, do you think that's wise? No, unwise, but uh, exactly what's going to continue to happen. <laughs> just sort of like I almost know that as soon as I figure out what I think we should be doing, just throw that away. We'll do the opposite. Right. Um, I think the president has gotten this far and won on his instincts, his fighter counterpuncher nature. And uh, to the extent that people tried to go after his family, he is still seething about the innuendo and all of the supposition about Don Jr. And, yeah, he's going to exact uh, at least uh, a modicum of revenge and do it publicly. Do you think it's wise, John, for him to counterattack? Or he's gonna, no matter what you think, he's going to do it anyway, right? Right. He's going to do it anyway. He's proved that over the last three years. But that's just his brand. And, and here's the other thing. You know, to take it a step further, we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast about – how um, anti-establishment Republicans or Democrats, for that matter, have to keep their purity or keep their that that brand. Ted Cruz was an example, but essentially he he's gone another direction. It's extremely difficult to do, but in a way, he's really the anti-establishment, the authentic anti-establishment <laughs> so guy. True. And here's the question: you know, the the AOCs of the world and and Representative Omar and and a lot of these star freshmen. You know, watch what they do. Can can they live up to this authentic sort of anti-establishment? We're challenging the, you know, the system. We're challenging the establishment. We're, we're the outsiders. Donald Trump is still an outsider two years in, two and a half years in, and he's going to stay that way. And that counterpunching, that counterattacking, that going low, all that is how he does it. All right, the final question on this portion. Um, what are the odds now that President Trump gets reelected? John Easton, you go first. <laughs> uh, today, I would say, given the disarray on the other side, I would say give him 60% chance. What do you think? Whatever it was last week, it's plus 10 from that. 60%, John Easton, you are absolutely correct. 60%. Uh, John Easton, since you've got it right, yeah. what are you, what are you uh, buying or selling this week? Well, it's interesting. I'll stay with the theme of the presidential theme. Um, and this has to do with uh, Joe Biden. I'm not selling Joe Biden, but I am selling. And if I keep selling, because I do every week, you know, he broke completely. But, <laughs> but, but Joe Biden uh, recently uh, called Mike Pence a, a decent guy. And um, there was flack that he took mostly from or or in the in the i guess the most highlighted case was cynthia nixon of new york who challenged uh, the, the governors for the gubernatorial race up there and um you know he got so much flack that he had to backtrack and say well i was talking about this and he's actually no he's not decent because he doesn't support uh, lbgdq rights and and I just think that um, we are in an era now that uh, you can't even call somebody on the opposite party, no matter who they are, a decent person, uh, and and stick with that. And poor Joe Biden. I mean, the guy, it looks like he's running for president because I don't think in any other circumstance he would apologize for that. I think that's probably right. Uh, Adam Belmar, what are you buying or selling? To your chagrin, I'm buying fish, fried fish. The St. Peter's Concerned Fathers cohort is sponsoring the fish fry this Friday 
at St. Peter's. We will all be there. If you follow this podcast, John Fury has been talking about this for weeks. And uh, not that the fish was bought weeks ago. It's going to be fresh, fresh and freshly fine. So I know we share this. Are you also uh, buying? Well, now that you've – I can't have the same thing. But, sure yes, of course, of course, I'm buying the fish. And I appreciate you uh, mentioning that. And I think it was really smart of you. I'm sure you didn't have a topic. So this <laughs> um, listen, what I am buying is I'm buying Rahm Emanuel because he stood up to that uh, corrupt political legal system in Chicago and called it for what it was, a whitewash. Justin Smollett should have been prosecuted. This is going to turn out to be a really big issue, especially when you combine it with – all those Hollywood folks who are buying their kids into different universities uh, and cheating. Uh, people do not like the liberal elite because they cheat. And this is going to be a huge issue for the middle of the country. And so good for Rahm Emanuel for calling for what it was. And uh, with that, I just want to thank you all for listening to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. Yes. <laughs>